This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. You know, I was thinking of this story that Kenneth Copeland told. <laughs> you know, he a lot of times people, they, they pray prayers that I guess they've heard or they think they sound good. They sound passionate. And so he said one time he was coming to God for something that he really needed God to intervene in his life. And so he's on the floor, you know, just praying, crying, interceding, spitting everything and making a lot of noise. Then he feels God to say to him, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm storming the gates of heaven. I'm storming the throne room of heaven. What does it look like? He's like, why are you storming the throne room of heaven? Why are you storming the gates? What, 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 are, what are you doing? You look like you're crazy down there. And he said, well, I'm storming the gates of heaven. I need answers. And he said, didn't you read in James where it says you can come boldly to the throne of grace? Well, yeah. And he said, and heaven is 1,400 miles in each direction. That's, you know, Revelation tells us that. But God says, just assume that my throne is in the middle of heaven. Don't you realize that you're storming and you're 750 miles short? Why don't you just come right into the throne room of God and quit storming the gates of heaven? And we, I hear people say stuff like, well, I'm storming heaven. Like, you don't have to do that. You can just go boldly to the throne of grace and ask for favor in your time of need, it tells us. We don't got to do crazy things like that. You can go right to God, right into his presence. And that's what we were just thinking about, being in the presence of God. And, uh, and that's something, I mean, David talked all about that all over the Psalms, being in the presence of God. But we're not talking about David tonight, so I don't want to go that direction because I'm getting ready to. So stop me. I'm not going there. That was this morning. Tonight, we're going to be talking about something that Jesus said that I believe is going to minister to a lot of people tonight. Jesus said, don't be afraid. I am here. Don't be afraid. I am here. And, you know, you imagine like sometimes you're a little kid and you're in a scary situation, but then your dad shows up or something. It's like, oh, good. I don't have to be afraid. Dad's here or big brother's here or my mom's here. And, and there's this this instance of, uh, of Jesus using this phrase. I'm going to show it to you. But uh, Jesus said, don't be afraid. I am here. And so before we get there, I'm going to open in prayer and we're going to look at just three quick things tonight. Amen. Would you guys got a question? Mike? Why are you raising your hand? I don't usually do this. What? You got to talk loud. I can't hear. No, not tonight. That was just mission. Sorry. I don't normally take questions in the middle of service. So sorry, guys. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that we have a church that we can come to and, and worship you in, Lord. And we have a church that we can come and, and hear your word, Lord. Your word is truth and truth sets us free. And we thank you for that, God. I pray tonight that as we look at your holy word, you'll speak to us. You'll show us things we need to see and you will set us free and bring us to a higher level. We praise you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So the first thing is this tonight. Number one, Jesus says, Jesus is always with you. Number one, Jesus is always with you. And I got to show you this story in John chapter six. John chapter six will be in the NLT tonight. John chapter six. And you know that the gospel of John is different from the other three gospels. Have you caught on to that in your reading of scripture? So. They share very, John shares very few stories of the, uh, the other three gospels. They pretty much tell the same stories just from different angles. And so 
theologically, they're called the synoptic gospels because they're synonymous. They're the same thing, pretty much, just from different angles. Mark, if you'll notice, his gospel is very short. He just kind of cuts right to the heart of all the stories. He doesn't give a lot of details. Luke was a doctor. He gives lots of details and stuff. So just interesting things you find reading. But this is one of the very few stories that John shares with the other three gospels. And so it tells me that there must be something very significant to this story. Because almost every other story in the book of John, he, he, doesn't, he just doesn't tell the same stories the other guys did. But John chapter 6, and we're going to look here at verses 16 through 21. You're familiar with this story, but there's some power here that you've got to see. John chapter 6, verse 16, it says, That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them. That's a a storm. And the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, don't be afraid. I am here. Oh, man, I love what Jesus said right there. He said, don't be afraid. It's me. I am here. I'm going to get us out of this mess right now. And so it says, then they were eager to let him in the boat. And immediately they arrived at their destination. And so uh, there's some there's something right there, too. I mean, immediately, because, you know, in the Bible, translations happen. I'm not going into that. But but it said they were at least three or four miles from shore, at least. Because they had already rowed that far out. And so they're that far out. And then Jesus gets in the boat and boom, immediately they're just suddenly at their destination. I mean, isn't that incredible what Jesus did right there? But here they are. They're in a bad spot. They're in a bad situation. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up. Isn't that just like Jesus to do that? You're out there in the middle of nowhere. And you're getting tossed around, it's storming, it's dark, and it's blowing around. And then just boom, there's Jesus, and he tells you, hey, don't be afraid. I'm here now. I'm going to take care of you. I've got this. And there's, uh, there's just something about this aspect of Jesus that, 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 that always gets me. Because we've all been in this spot, haven't we, where it seems like I don't know what I'm going to do right now. I honestly don't know. what. And, and, and I'm sure these guys, they were experienced sailors. They, these weren't guys that had never been in the water before. They knew what they were doing, but this was beyond them. And then Jesus shows up and says, it's okay. I've got this. Don't be afraid. I'm here. And then immediately he fixes the whole thing. And don't you love it when Jesus comes in and just boom, immediately fixes the whole situation. And, and you know, th- this shows me that no matter where you are, Jesus will make his way to you. You're not going to be too far out because a lot of times I've read this story, especially in uh, the other gospels, and they don't. I don't. I'm, I don't. I know they don't. Don't all include the, the part about they're three or four miles out because I'm always thinking, okay, well, Jesus, he takes a few steps and gets to the boat. Do you realize that Jesus walked nearly four miles on water in a storm in the dark? It's a, it was a storm, and the verses tell us it had totally turned dark, and so Jesus for four miles is walking. On water, nobody around. He's just walking to get to his friends, get to his disciples. I mean, it's blowing everywhere. There's probably thunder and lightning. It's raining. It's a, I mean, just hurricane situation. And Jesus, 
for nearly four miles is just walking through the water till he can get to his guys right there. Isn't that incredible? And and that I know that you know no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, it's not too far for Jesus to get there. And he walks there and, and, and he gets there and he takes care of the whole situation. He says, don't be afraid. I'm here. And, you know, he's soaking wet. He's probably cold. He's soaking wet. He's a mess and all this stuff. But here he is through the storm. And he says, it's OK. I'm here now. Quit being afraid. I've got this. He gets in the boat and solves everything. Isn't Jesus the best, man? Isn't Jesus the best? He, he'll, he, I mean, we look at these other religions, other, you see people cutting themselves and walking on coals and glass, trying to do all these things to get to their God. And our God is the one that came down and got tortured to get to us. He, you know what I mean? We don't have to torture ourselves for him. He went through the torture to get to us. He loved us that much. And John, I mean, John, we're in his book right now. He's called the Apostle of Love. And John over and over again speaks about the love of God. I mean, look no further than John 3.16. John writes, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. John later, uh, he, he writes, you know, the, the amazing thing is that, 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 that we love God is that he loved us. Think about that. That's like God loved us. Even when we didn't deserve it because we don't deserve it, he laid his life down. And John got a full grasp of this. John was the only one of the twelve that stood with Jesus until the very end. Peter fell off. James, everyone fell off. John was the only guy that went all the way to the cross with Jesus. And Jesus looks down and says, Behold, mother, here's your son. Son, this is now your mom. And, he, and what he's, and Jesus was the oldest child. You, you got to understand that. I mean, you know, hey. So, so Jesus, he, he was the, and in Hebrew tradition, I mean, it is absolutely his job, even though there's others, he's got to appoint someone to take care of mom at this point. And I don't know what happened to Joseph. The scripture doesn't tell us. I don't know. But he says, he's, he makes sure his mom is taken care of. And he says, John, take care of my mom. You got to look after my mom when I'm gone. And that's how close John was to Jesus. And John saw fit to include out of, out of the miracles and all the stories, there's a lot of them, uh, but John included this one, and he included the miracle of Jesus multiplying the fishes and the loaves. I think that's the only two of these miraculous stories that he included. But, but out of all this, he sees fit to include this one because John was there when this happened. He was scared, and Jesus showed up. He knew what it was like to be in the middle of nowhere, getting tossed around, terrified, not know what was going to happen. And then Jesus, soaking wet, walks through the storm all those miles and fixes everything. And so John had a very deep understanding of, uh, of Jesus. But I know for all of us, we could all say this. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the middle of the storm. But then I picked up my Bible. And Jesus has said to me, don't be afraid. I'm here now. Because, again, John wrote in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word. And so if you want to spend time with Jesus, you just pick up your Bible and you're spending time with Jesus. And I, I mean, this may sound weird. The lowest points of my life, I've slept with the Bible under my arm. And you may think, well, that sounds kind of weird, whatever. But I'm telling you, I've hugged this thing under my arm through the night because I, I know he's with me no matter what. 
But dude, I, I'm, Jesus is with me. And so there's times that we've all been there when it seems like I, I don't exactly know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know. But you pick up this Bible and Jesus says to you, don't be afraid. I'm here now. I'm going to take care of this situation. And that's one of the great things that we have in Christianity is we have a, a Savior that's alive. Wouldn't that stink if Jesus had stayed dead? Wouldn't that be awful if the, the, the angels just couldn't have got through that, 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 that squad of Roman soldiers right there? And could, but the truth is, is that they did get through it and that Jesus did rise from the dead. And because of that, we've got a living Savior who still speaks to us. We're not reading history here. We're reading the words of Jesus to you in 2017 where he's saying, don't be afraid. I've got this. And that's, I mean, there's no greater gift than that. Money can't buy this, guys. Money can't buy this. And I've, I've said this before. You could offer me a check for a million dollars right now for this Bible, and I wouldn't give it to you. I'd say, no, keep your money. I'm keeping this. That's how much the Word of God means to us. Never, ever lose sight of the gift that you have. You've got the sword of the Spirit. You've got the Word of God, and you can read, and you and you can receive it, man. That is incredible. But Jesus is telling you tonight, don't be afraid, I'm here. I want you to flip back to the Old Testament for a minute. We're coming back to the New in a, in a few minutes. But but let's look at a verse here that, that you should have memorized. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. This is probably the verse that I give to people. I, I would say probably more than any other verse. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. But Joshua right here was in a unique situation. So Moses had just died and turned the helm of leadership over to Joshua. And we did a study on this last year. Who remembers the Son of None series? That was pretty cool. That was fun. We had like eight or nine weeks on that. But, but Moses turns everything over to Joshua. And so they've been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And that was preceded by 400 years of slavery. And so they finally get to the, the, to the edge of the promised land. And as you know, Moses dies. He's not allowed to go in because of, uh, he's, he sinned. And, and I've heard people say, well, it, after everything that God, that Moses did for God, why was God that unjust? Well, when you've seen God like Moses did, you're a lot more accountable than, than, you know, Joe Burger Flipper that, you know, I'm not being mean, but I'm just saying Moses was accountable to a whole higher level. And so that's why Moses did make that mistake with the water, you know, the story. And, and, and he wasn't allowed to go in, but there's a reason he was held to a much higher level of accountability than the rest of the people. And so, so he has to turn things over to Joshua. God lets Moses see it from the distance and see what the children are getting ready to get into. But he turns it over to Joshua. And there's a lot of weight on Joshua's shoulders. There's a lot of pressure right here. 40 years in the wilderness, 400 years of slavery, and it comes down to now you're in charge of getting these people into this promised land. I don't know about you, but I would feel some pressure right there. And we're talking about a couple of million people that are following you. This is a great big deal. And so God, all throughout Joshua, especially the first couple of chapters, he keeps repeating this to him. But Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, he says, This is my command, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
This is a command to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And when you truly get a revelation of that truth, because a lot of us are like, yeah, that's cool. I know God's with me everywhere I go. Yeah. But when you truly get that in your heart, that everywhere you go, the Almighty is in the room. Listen, when I walk into a room, God just showed up to the room. Because he's with me everywhere I go. When I when I show up on a situation, God just showed up. Why? Because I'm so cool? No, just because there's a promise of God that he'll be with me everywhere I go. And we know he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be there with you everywhere you go. I'm there. And when you get that, fear isn't an issue anymore. And that's why he told Joshua, you just remember that. And I mean, read this. Read the first few chapters all the time. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you everywhere you go. Be strong. Be courageous. And this is something that we have got to get a hold of. Because Jesus already told us, don't be afraid. I'm here with you. And it's the same thing that they were telling Joshua way back in the Old Testament. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Be strong. Be courageous. The Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. So do you get the revelation tonight that Jesus is always with you? Always. You can't. And, you know, David wrote in Psalm 139, he said, I can't get away from your presence. Even if I went to the lowest parts of the earth, even there, your hand will find me. And so you can't get away from God. That's really good news. He is always with us. Number two is this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And whenever we get bad news, our first instinct is to let fear kick in, right? Like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? But also, I've, I've noticed you don't even have to get bad news for fear to try to kick in. Fear, you don't have to go looking for fear. It tries to find you. You know what I mean? It knocks on your door, whether you're looking for it or not, because Fear is the primary tool of the enemy. Why? Because faith is the exact opposite of fear. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And listen, with fear, it's super possible to please the devil. That's how you make him happy. And so he is the opposite of God. And God is all about faith. And do you realize that faith and fear are also pretty much the same thing? You're like, what? Well, they're they're opposites. But get this. They're both a belief in something that you can't see. Faith just chooses to believe that, okay, I don't see it yet, but God's going to come through. Fear says, it hasn't happened yet, but I know I'm going down. This is going to be it. This, this is a storm that's going to take me down. So technically, they're opposites, but at the same time, they're the same thing because they're both a belief in the unseen. They're both a belief, you know, in the unseen. And so when you when you get this, it changes you. But don't be afraid. And so there's this story in uh, Mark chapter five. So let's flip back there. Mark chapter five. There's a man named Jairus. Anyone heard of Jairus? So Jairus, well, he was a leader in the local synagogue and and his daughter was deathly ill. She she had fallen sick. We, we know this. And he asked Jesus to come pray for. Her, and Jesus says, on my way, sir. And on the way there, this woman with the issue of blood shows up. You know, she's been bleeding for 12 years, had spent all she had, but had gotten no better, but it only gotten worse. And so that takes a few minutes of Jesus' time. And so after that, the people come to Jairus and say, uh, leave him alone. She's already dead. It's too late. 
But look at this. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. And we'll pick it up at verse 35. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. And so it says, While he was still speaking to her, the woman with the issue of blood, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just have faith. So earlier when he told the disciples, don't be afraid, I'm here. Now he tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Or fear not, only believe. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And so I'll break this down as we're going, but, but how many of the twelve how many Jesus had the 12 disciples, right? We know he had more than that, but but he had his 12 main guys, his posse, his crew, his amigos, his dudes. OK, the 12. Why did he not let the other nine come? Isn't that kind of rude? I mean, isn't that like, geez, I want to go. What's wrong with Thomas? Well, you know, he probably would have gone and doubted the whole thing to death. But I mean, you don't, you don't want Thomas in a situation like this. I'm sure he had good attributes somewhere. Jesus saw something there. But you don't want Thomas in a situation like this. He would have screwed the whole thing up. Okay? And so, but Jesus, he, he, it says he, he doesn't let anyone come with him except for Peter, James, and John. And as you study the Gospels, you see numerous accounts of this where Jesus is going in to a really bad situation. A lot of times the person's already dead. And Jesus lets no one go with him except Peter, James, and John. Why is that? Well, we know they were the closest to Jesus, but these were the guys that actually had the faith in an impossible situation. The other guys were great, good guys. They were they were cool for the multiplying the fishes and loaves. They they were great for a lot of the other things. But but in these super bad situations, only Peter, James, and John. And so that tells me that I'm you know I've I've got a great circle of friends and and people that that I you know that, that are great. But if I'm in an impossible situation, I'm not just taking everybody with me. I'm only taking the very closest people that can truly have faith and believe God. I love everyone. You know, love for everybody to be there. But Jesus knew they just weren't at that level. And he said, I, I can't. Because, but, because listen, whenever there was doubt around, even remember when Jesus went to his hometown, he went back to his hometown to preach. And it says he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Unbelief stopped Jesus from doing miracles. Unbelief, fear, and doubt is extremely powerful stuff. In the wrong way, but it's extremely powerful because it's a belief in the unseen. And that's the most powerful thing in this universe is belief in the unseen. And so, and so even when Jesus went to his hometown, it says he could do no mighty works there. Because of their unbelief. And so I'm certain that if Jesus had taken a bunch of unbelief into the room with this little girl, it could have stopped this miracle from happening. So he says, everyone else wait here. Peter, James, John, let's go. And he calls the three with him. There's a lot to be said right there. And so here he is. He, he, he gets these guys. It says, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And I'm sure people are thinking, yeah, we know what a dead person looks. She is not sleeping. She gone. She dead. 
And, you know, like we, we, we've seen this before. So the crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. You don't make, you don't laugh at Jesus. He'll kick you out. Guess what he did? He's like, yeah, it's funny. Get out. He kicks him out the door. You want to laugh? Go out there and tell your jokes. And so he kicks everybody out except Peter, James, and John. He took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. And look at this. Jesus did the impossible. But how did it all start with? He took care of the fear, number one. If you're in a bad situation, the first thing you got to do is tackle the fear issue. Because if you don't get rid of that, it's, it's going to be really, really hard to make it through the rest of the thing. And so he tells Jairus, listen, I know what they're saying. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Follow me. Just believe, Jairus. Ignore them. Just believe. He gets there and everyone's laughing and making fun. He kicks them straight out. And I thank God that, hey, my parents... When I had leukemia and I was in the hospital, they kicked people out of the room before that came for a pity party and came to bring in their doubt and unbelief in. They just kicked people straight out. And they're like, well, that sounds really mean. Yeah, well, I'm glad that we that, that I'm alive and we risked, you know, my my healing at the expense of other people's feelings. OK, and so when you're in a bad spot, the time to just worry about what everybody thinks, that's out the window. That's out the window. And, and if someone's going to come and rain on the miracle, they've got to go. And so Jesus said, there's the door. Go, go, get out. And then he brought the three and we see this miraculous thing. He said, oh, she's not dead. She's just sleeping, man. Get up, little girl. And she gets up and walks around. In verse 43, Jesus says, hey, go get her something to eat. She's probably hungry. She's been out for a while. And so they get her some food. But Jesus, he tells us, don't be afraid. And fear is one of Satan's most potent attacks because it can literally be a three-level attack. Fear, number one, it get, grabs a hold of your mind, your soul. That's where fear shoots for, first of all. And if you don't deal with it at the soul and the mind level, then it gets a hold of your spirit. You haven't guarded your heart like Proverbs 4 tells us above all else. So fear, it'll attack your soul, then it'll attack your spirit, and it gets so bad that fear attacks your physical body. And people shake and they get ulcers and all types of stuff because fear isn't dealt with. Fear is one of Satan's most potent attacks because it can hit you on all three levels. And Jesus continually told people, don't be afraid. We've got to attack this first. And so it reminds me of the story... Back in the Old Testament, I'm going to try to move quickly here, but you know the story where they get to the promised land like we were just talking about. But do you realize that when they first left Egypt, they got to the promised land pretty quick. It didn't take 40 years to get there. They actually got there pretty quickly. And so they get there and Moses sends 12 spies into the land. Do you know this story? Okay. And so he sends 12 spies into the land to spy out the land. And then they're like, oh, it's beautiful. It's great. And the 12 come back. And 10 say, it's awesome, it's beautiful, but we'll never get in there because there's giants. There, it's, I mean, talk about a letdown. The, everything we dreamed of, our dreams, our hopes, they're shattered. This is awful. I can't believe this happened. But here we are. But two guys come back. Two guys saw the exact same thing as everybody else. And they were like, oh, my gosh, guys, it is beautiful. There's these huge graves. 
pomegranates that are this big. I mean, there, there, there's, there's land to farm. There's houses already built. We don't have to build houses. We just got to kick them out of their houses and take over. I mean, it's incredible. This is an awesome, oh, thank you, God. This is everything we hoped for and more. And to top it off, there's giants. We get to kill giants, man. Just like David. This is, this is incredible. And so they're excited, but 12 guys looked at the exact same piece of real estate. Ten saw impossibilities. Two saw the greatest possibilities of their life. All their dreams coming true before their eyes. But do you know that because of fear, those, those, those ten guys ruined it for everybody. You know, isn't it like just a few? They always ruin it for everybody. <laughs> they come in and they tell everybody, no, 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 no. It is beautiful, but no. It's not going to happen for us. And because of it, God said, all right, fine. You know what? Turn around. You're going out. And and you, none of you are getting in there until every last one of you doubters has died. And so for 40 years, look at a map. Look at the path that they took. They were doing circles out in the wilderness for 40 stinking years until the last doubtful person died off. 40 years. And you do the math. And I, I've told you this before, but that was thousands of people every day. If you do a couple million people out of 40, they were seeing people drop like flies every day for 40 years, 40 years. But finally, after the last one died, God says, OK, let's go. And Joshua and Caleb, the two, they get in there. They're in their 80s at this point. And I've, you know, I've showed you this story in numbers, but, but Josh was a leader and Caleb's still there, still kicking. And they said, Caleb, pick your plot of land, whatever you want. And he says, I want that mountain over there. And everyone's like, what? I mean, you can have the farmland. He's like, no, I want the mountain. I've waited 40 years for this. I want to live on a mountain. <laughs> Get out of the way. I'm going. And they're like, okay. So Caleb is in his 80s and, and there's still some, some people up there that he's got to go kick out. Caleb climbs the sneaking mountain, lays the smack down, kicks them out, and takes over the mountain. Why? Because he's a man of faith, and he took it to heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. And so Caleb conquered that mountain because he got a revelation of don't be afraid. That's the biggest thing you've got to conquer because the devil will chop at you with fear. The word devil comes from this Greek word diabolos. And, and diabolos, when, when you break it down, it means a slanderer, a false accuser, unjustly criticizing to sever a relationship. Do you realize what the devil's primary objective is? He wants to sever the relationship between you and God. He'll throw, I mean, it says in Ephesians, that he shoots these fiery darts all day long at your soul, at your mind. All, and everybody, we go through this all day long. Fiery darts from the wicked one. They come in and, and just and just try to attack you, man. It's, it's the truth. And so and so the devil, his ultimate I'm convinced his ultimate goal isn't to just kill a Christian, especially, you know, a, a, a good Christian that's in, in a good relationship with God. What he wants to do is before you die, he wants to get you to doubt God and sever the relationship because nothing would bring him more joy than to split you apart from God and have somebody that was a child of God curse God and let go of him. And the, one of the main ways he does this is through fear. He wants to sever and just blow by blow, dart by dart, a nonstop attack, just boom, boom, boom. When you chop wood, I mean, you know, we used to have this thing called the mall, and you would just, you know, sometimes just 
you know, just keep going away at it, especially these, but after a while, bit by bit, eventually you split the thing and sever it in two. And that's what his primary objective is, is to sever that relationship with God. And I'm saying that's not going to happen to me. No way. That is not going to happen, man. I'm holding on to Jesus. I am holding on to him. And I know that he's not letting go of me. But he says, don't be afraid. I'm here. And we know that he's with us everywhere we go. And so let's look at our our third thing tonight. And that's this. So we know that he's with you. And you can't be afraid. But we're going to take it up a step further. And it's this last thing. It's called be courageous. Not only don't be afraid, okay, but I'm talking about be courageous. Do something courageous. Do something courageous. And now there was an obvious blessing for, for Caleb and, and Joshua because they refused to give in to their fear and they became courageous. And when you're confident in your relationship with God, you can make bold decisions and you can step out and do things that you need to do. You can be courageous because you know that he's with you. You're not doing it on your own. You're not the one. You're not the one responsible for the power. You're just the one responsible for the faith, right? I mean, God, he's got the power. That's his job. It's just your job to believe. Jesus all the time said, hey, don't, just believe. All I, all I need for you to do is believe. I'll take care of the miracle. I'll take care of supplying the power for this. You just believe. That's all you have to do. Only believe. Fear not. Only believe. And we've got to get this. And so... Joshua and Caleb got this, and they held on to God. And I want to show us this one last story in the book of John tonight, in John chapter 6. Because any person that's done great things for God has had to make courageous decisions at one point or another. I'll repeat that, because I was really good. Okay, Any person that's done great things for God has had to make courageous decisions at one point or another. Think about the people in the Bible. Do any of the people that you read about in the Bible, are they, are they just in there because, oh yeah, there's this one guy named Daniel. I mean, he's kind of a cool guy. Okay, next story. No, Daniel did something courageous. That's why he's in the Bible. Okay? Jonah. I mean, I mean, look at all these guys. Paul, they're all in there because they stepped up and they faced fear and they did courageous things. Anybody that's done great things for God has had to make courageous decisions and they've had to go against the tide of popular opinion. They've had to go against the tide of what everybody else thinks. And so this brings me to this this one final story here in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a really long chapter, so we're going to look at verse 66. But, but oftentimes Jesus would say kind of controversial things, especially for the day and age. He would say things like that. We read the stories. We're like, oh, yeah, I know that. I've heard that my whole life. Well, they had never heard these things. And so Jesus is telling his big group of disciples and followers one day. He says he's trying to tell them about communion, basically. But he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't get into the kingdom of God. And they're like, that's disgusting. What are you talking about, you freak? I mean, these people, they're, they're like, no, that's wrong. That, that's no, 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 no. And so at that point, it says a bunch of Jesus disciples got up and deserted him and walked out. 
they walked out on Jesus. They'd seen the miracles. They had felt the joy and the peace and the love. They'd seen and heard and, 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 and uh, tasted of the things uh, that Jesus had offered. But he says this, and they get like, that's too much. No, you're weird. And they, they get up, and they walk out, and they turn their backs on Jesus. But John chapter 6, verse 66, well, I just said all that. But at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve. The twelve were still there. And he asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter, he speaks up and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. But I love Peter's declaration right there. He's like, where are we going to go? You're it. I've, I've put everything. I, I have. My life is yours. You're everything to me. Where am I going to go? And I ask that question, too. You know, even if everybody else walks out on Jesus, I'm going to be the guy that says, where am I going to go? He's everything I've got. What, are you kidding me? I have nothing else to go to in this world. He's it. And Jesus said, or Peter says, you alone are the one that has the words of life. There's nowhere else for us to go. We've sold everything we have. We've given everything and forsaken everything to be with you. I, you're it. You, you're, you're, we've got nowhere else to go, Jesus. And these 12, they stuck with Jesus, man. And do you think they regretted it? No. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, when you see everybody else going the opposite way, it's kind of, I mean, imagine you're walking into a building and there's hundreds of people walking out. You're like, huh, I wonder where they're going. Won't you at least wonder like, hey, where's the crowd going? I mean, but you're walking against it. You're walking through the current and you're the only one going this way. Well, sometimes that's what Jesus calls us to. This Christian life isn't always easy. And God's way is not always the easy way, but it's always the right way every time. And you never regret obeying Jesus. You never regret doing what he said to do. And I know these disciples, they never regretted at one moment of their life, even if they lost friends over it, even if they were considered outcasts, even if they were weirdos at this point for following this guy that tells you to eat his flesh and drink his blood, uh, even even all that, they, they never regretted it. And I can tell you this, you'll never regret it either, because where else are we going to go, guys? I've got nowhere else to go. This is it. This is this is the only thing I've got. It's Jesus Christ. And he tells me, don't be afraid. I'm here now. I've got this. Just just let me take care of this. All, all I need you to do is believe. That's it. All I need you to do is believe. I'll take care of the rest of it and I'll get you out of this. That's Jesus. And so his word to you tonight is don't be afraid. Only believe. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up together. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.